You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. To our guest speaker tonight. Okay, thank you very much, Shanna, and welcome everyone to the Sons of Abraham series as uh, part of our Sunset series. And Sarah Amiel, it's a pleasure and honor to have you join us tonight. Thank you very much. And I see members of your community uh, who are you were invited to come on as well. So everyone, welcome to, to our community and uh, the new people who have joined as well. And uh, I'd like to give uh, an introduction, a bio, to uh, Amiel Ben Yehuda, who is the Minister of Information and Nat- National Spokesman for the African Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem. Minister Ben Yehuda did his undergraduate work at Virginia Wesleyan College and American University. He interned a few years ago, I assume, like myself, uh, college days. He interned and later worked as a legislative assistant on Capitol Hill on both sides of the partisan aisle before answering to his spiritual calling and relocating to Israel in 1978. And um, he has since dedicated his life to the spiritual but practical uplifting of all those who desire to live according to the truth. He received his master's and doctorate degrees in history and diplomacy at the School of the Prophets Institute at Jerusalem. Minister Ben Yehuda is a devoted husband and the very proud father of 22 children, most of whom reside in Israel. He enjoys basketball and bicycling and is also an accomplished drummer, organic gardener, and Carpenter, so a man of many skills as well. So uh, once again, welcome and uh, wonderful to have you with us tonight. And uh, Sar Amiel, can we, uh, that uh, how I can address you? Uh, you could call me Sar uh, or Amadiel, it's Amadiel. Amadiel, yeah. okay. So Amadiel, yeah. uh, welcome. So first, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Thank your background, you. where you're from, and how you got to Israel? Okay. Uh, first, allow me to give all honor and praises to the Holy One of Israel, to Yah Yahuwah. I greet each and every one of you uh, in, of course, the Hebrew tongue, Shalom Aleichem. Uh, thanks to um, Tribe Tel Aviv and to Rabbi Feldman for this opportunity. Uh, when I first heard about the uh, the theme of the sons of Abraham, it really been going here in, in building relationships with the Bedouin community uh, and crossing that bridge of the typical Israeli, uh, Jewish, uh, Arab, Islamic divide. And it was called the sons of the Negev, sons of, we are all sons of Abraham. As we go, we say, Ibrahim Abuna, Abuna Ibrahim. Uh, Abraham is our father, our common father. And so that is a point of departure for us in building bridges that we feel are important in land uh, to bring real peace and real um, uh, cohesion to us as parts of a similar, of a common family. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, again, I was born and raised in Washington. Is that someone, was that Washington, D.C. falling? Um, uh, I was born in Washington, D.C. I became, I, I thought that politics was going to be my my uh, contribution. I, I always had a, a sense of wanting to assist the the plight of African Americans. And of course, if I was to go back to the early 70s and my conscious awakening to the plight of our people and the history that was not taught to us in public schools or even the private schools that I was attending, uh, that awakening left me a very angry black man. And it was a little bit later than the, I guess you would say the, 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 the uh, season for the Black Panther movement there in, in, in uh, the, uh, that had pretty much been decimated by the uh, by police action, FBI, COINTELPRO, et cetera, et cetera. 
And by that time, the revolution, as we would talk about it, uh, was to be um, was something that was going to be politically and then later economically achieved. And so politics became the vehicle and the, and the vessel by which we were to gain our, our real true freedom. And so that little stint up on Capitol Hill uh, opened my eyes to something that uh, I said, this is not what, I, what I'm called to do. I dabbled in real estate uh, for a while. And D.C. was a very, very lucrative market and remains so. It's one of the, in fact, it's the only market in, in America that survived the, uh, the crash in 2008. And um, I, I left that. I, I, I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't, uh, in good conscience, be a part of that. I had something else that was tugging at me. And so in 1975, I visited a friend in, in Detroit and her brother-in-law, was part of a Hebrew Israelite congregation. And he invited me to their meeting or class. And from that moment on, I identified as a Hebrew Israelite. It made sense to me, uh, the history and the, the prophetic uh, plight of the African in America and around the world in many cases. Uh, and it, I, it, it resonated with me in terms of that being my 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 destiny and my calling and so i answered that for two years i was on basically an independent study in 1977 i came across or they came across me representatives that were sent from demona to washington dc to actually open up a jurisdiction or an extension there and they began to chase M's brother from that particular outreach uh by 1978 i moved uh, or I came to visit in Israel and uh, regarded this as my home from that point. By 1980, I was here, I was here illegally like the rest of the community um, because, uh, and I, I'll probably need to back up as we, as we go, but I'm just going to talk about me. But I was here for um, a period of time and then I had to leave and I was back and forth and I was on have my old passport once when I was denied entry. Uh, it was a very difficult 25 years. Again, I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But um, I've been, uh, I've identified as an Israelite since, and this is my life. And, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a love affair with the state of Israel, with the land of Israel, with its people, and with the mission that we have in this land. So could you give us, uh, back up, as you said, back up and give us a little about the origins and the history of the Hebrew Israelite community, the connection to Africa, and sure. uh, the larger picture. And then we'll okay. talk about the actual community today. Okay. Um, 1969 was when the first Hebrew Israelites arrived in Israel, but let me back up to uh, the year 70 <laughs> in the Common Era. And of course, that that was destruction of Jerusalem uh, at the hands of the Romans. And the Romans were a military, oppressive military power coming from the north. Logically, if you're dealing with an enemy coming from the north, which way would you flee? You don't have to be an IDF, a lifetime uh, soldier to understand that, that logistically you would flee to the south. And when you begin to look at the First of all, the ancient history of Israel and its many, many interactions with Egypt and Ethiopia being mentioned over a thousand times in the scriptures, that long uh, relationship and affinity, that continued. And so many of our people became exiles moving to the south. We would venture to say that possibly even the majority of Israelites fled to the south. And when you look at the migration patterns of many of the African peoples, they actually... It's documented by UNESCO. It's documented by anthropologists. Um, their oral narratives and their migration uh, sagas take them down the banks of the Nile, down both banks of the Red Sea, across North Africa, down into West Africa. And so when you begin to look through Africa and you find the Ashanti and the Ewe, Yoruba, the Igbo, the the, um, the Batsa of Cameroon, the Lemba of South, South Africa and Southern Zimbabwe, 
uh, even the Bantu peoples, they all have this similar, uh, what a scholar in, in uh, 1930, uh, Joseph Williams, a British scholar called Hebrewisms. And he's speaking of say, for example, the, the right of circumcision, uh, not just circumcision for circumcision's sake, but on the eighth day, uh, the separation of women during their childbirth and after, or excuse me, and during menstru the menstrual cycles. Uh, this is Mosaic law. When you look at the linguistic patterns, you'll find that the, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in West Africa, amongst the Akan people, the Ashanti and the, the Fanti and the other peoples, they, they'll say Akwaba, welcome. And of course, Barukaba, Akwaba, Barukaba, boy is Benin, uh, Bain. I could go on and on with the similarities uh, that exist to this particular day. And when you talk to elders in those communities, many of them will give these stories out and the modern generations have come along and have discounted them or not paid attention, but it's still in their memory. And they will say, well, you know, my grandmother used to talk about that, but we thought she was crazy. And so these are the, the, the threads of cultural continuity that exist. And when you look at what took place in West Africa, when the European neighbors arrived, they did not come and take away, they, didn't, they weren't the ones who went into the interior and captured Africans and carried them into captivity. They made deals with those who were there. And of course, in the hypothesis, we would say that it would be newcomers who would be the ones who would have been captured and carried away into captivity. And so the, the proof of that hypothesis is found in the fact that when you get to the other side of the Atlantic, and you begin to look at that culture and considering that getting on we left Africa with literally nothing on our backs versus at least carrying clothes and helping elders and changes of, 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 of provisions and what have you, uh, leaving here in the year 70. But there, all we left from in West Africa was an oral tradition, a memory. And so when you look in America during the slave era, forbidden to read, write, preach, or teach, we sang songs. And our songs were not of West African landmarks. We didn't sing about the River Niger, the River Gambia, the River Volta. We sang about the River Jordan. We didn't sing about Mali, Songhai, or Timbuktu. We sang about Jericho, Jerusalem, and Canaan's land. I used to think that that was simply explainable because European missionaries taught us these things. And, and that is not the case. Always, that's what I always thought as well. I, I, I did. It's, 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 it's assumed. And it's a logical assumption, except when you take, for example, Mungo Park, well-known Scottish explorer, when he went in West Africa, particularly the area of Liberia and Sierra Leone now, he went there in 1790. And he comes across a brother there named Fantuma, and a Mandinka. And Fantuma had in his possession the first five books of the Bible. He had a book of Isaiah and a book of Psalms. They were in Arabic. Why Arabic? Because that was the language of scholarship. We're not talking about an era in which all of the books of the Bible were nice and neatly uh, uh, compiled in, in one small version. He was a school teacher and he had copies of these. He sits Mungo Park down and tells him stories about Joseph and uh, David and Solomon and Moses. And he gives these stories as part of his own folklore. And when he finds out that Mungo Park heard, knew the same stories, he was surprised. And so this causes us to have to, to look at this this thread of, of cultural identity a bit differently. And so in America, moving fast forward, the, the, the uh, uh, post-slavery era, you had men who would move around, particularly in that migration from the Southern states into the North, they would move around to teach about the, uh, that, that we were actually descendants of biblical Israelites. So again, fast forward, 19, early 1960s, Benami, our spiritual leader, was a member of a community there called a Beta Cultural Center. Do me, hold on one moment. Let me, 
let me ask these young sons outside playing basketball to tone it down a bit. Are you are muted. Are you still muted? How about that? There we go. Okay. So, so Benami was a member of a Beta Cultural Center. It was a Hebrew congregation in Chicago. And he would ask the elders in, in 65, early 66, he would ask the elders, well, when do we return back to Israel? And the answer was invariably, it's not time yet. We're waiting for this. We're waiting for that. And that didn't resonate with him. And so in meditation, in prayer on his bed in Chicago, He's visited by the angel Gabriel, who instructs him that in the following year that he would lead the exodus of our people back to the promised land to establish the kingdom of Yah on earth. Now, he was troubled by that. He didn't know what the response would be if he, if he began to indeed share that, if he was going to be ridiculed and laughed at. But after a while, he shared it. And long story short, by the following year, 1967, he had successfully convinced nearly 400 men and women and many of their children to leave the confines of America and to begin the exodus out. Now, we went into Liberia. And Liberia was chosen, first of all, because prophetically, we were looking, we were looking to return the same way we had left. I believe it's Isaiah refers to we would return the same way that we came. And so where in West Africa would we go? There was Liberia, whose actually founding was was on uh, part and parcel of the of the African-Americans who had actually left uh, a century prior and who had prepared the way and in whose constitution it required them to open their doors to any African-Americans who wanted to return back to Africa. And so we, we tested that, that, uh, that clause, and indeed, it was accurate, it was true, and they received us, and we were able to move our people into uh, Liberia. We went into the interior. We spent two and a half years in the interior, 100 miles in the interior, away from the capital city of Monrovia, with Sears and Roebuck tents. Um, I think Sears might still be an entity, but Roebuck has long been dropped. And those tents were supposedly waterproof, but they were nothing compared or nothing able to keep up with the 110 inches of annual rainfall that Liberia monsoons were known for. Uh, that two and a half year period for us was a cleansing. It was our wilderness. It was a, an unlearning of many of the things that we had learned as captives, as slaves in America. If you don't love yourself it's impossible to be able to love others and so we needed to unlearn a lot of negative behaviors and negative uh, low self-esteem etc cetera, etc cetera. we sacrificed we paid a dear price we had uh, you tell your children don't play down by the wells that we had dug children being children uh, little Kana falls in and the children are afraid to even come back and tell us until it was too late we had those that perished from dysentery and malaria and other uh, hardships in the interior. Uh, we got to a point where we were literally malnourished. We were struggling. We, we didn't have a penny to buy a bunch of bananas that would have sustained us. And so that particular experience brought us to literally rock bottom and it tested the souls of everyone who was there. And out of the 
nearly 400, between 350, 370 people who were there. Uh, at the end of the two and a half years when we deemed it was, uh, we had uh, successfully uh, maneuvered through our wilderness experience, there were only 138 souls left, the vast majority of whom had returned back to America and the confines and comforts of, of America. It was a very difficult existence. 1969, we, are, we leave Liberia and arrive here in several waves. The first wave was welcomed under the then law of return. The authorities were somewhat surprised, quite surprised at the appearance of, of, of these black faces, dark faces from America. Uh, and coming out of the Liberian experience, uh, rather ragtag, but nevertheless, we were welcomed. And as the next wave of immigrants came in from Liberia, uh, not get the same welcoming because nine months after our first arrival, the law of return was changed. And it was changed in a manner that wrote us out of the definition. And um, that set in motion a 25 plus year uh, war of attrition between us and the, the government and particularly the minister Ministry of Interior, which historically has generally been under the control and authority of the religious parties in the state. And so there is the, uh, therein was the, the problem because we were not recognized as Jews uh, by the rabbinate. We did not aspire to be recognized as Jews. We refused to convert. We felt that on our, our uh, claim alone, in our historical uh, ordeals that we ourselves did not need to meet that criteria. Uh, we are not religious. We identify as Judeans. So we're Jewish in the sense simply of being a tri of the tribal origin of Judah. And in fact, living in here in Demona, that puts us in our tribal, ancestral tribal home. We are Hebrew Israelites by nationality. And we felt that was sufficient to satisfy uh, our claim to want to return back to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to be a part of this, this great prophetic ingathering. Um, from 1969 to 1990, we endured many hardships. We were under threat of deportation. Uh, we were uh, harassed at work sites. We were arrested. Uh, we did not have work permits. Of course, we were uh, exploited by contractors. We would work in those days. You worked a full month before you got a got a paycheck, and it's still like that in some in many uh, of the jobs that we hold. Um, but we worked a full month, and the the contractor could run off, and we had no legal uh, discourse uh, or recourse, rather, to to uh, sue or to to claim damages. In fact, if we did, we would be arrested and, and, and deported. And many of us were in those, in those days. It was a very difficult situation. It forced us inward. It forced us to rely communally to develop uh, a very, very organized system of living uh, communally and sharing. It forced us to develop our own healthcare system because we literally could not afford to get sick. Uh, it forced us into uh, preventing sickness, you know, a diet and a lifestyle that prevent us that prevented sickness. And so actually those things we look back on today and we can say that uh, just like when Joseph and his brother, uh, Joseph was sold into captivity by his brethren, it's written that Yah meant it for good, but his brothers meant it for evil. And so we now can look back on the experience and we can say that it was actually a blessing because it, it now puts us at a point where we actually are the leader in Israel in vegan diets and preventive lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that was a very difficult period for us, but it was part of the dues we felt we needed to pay. Uh, in 1990, the then and now Minister of Interior, Arie Derry, approached our leader and said, literally, hey, I've grown up with you in this land. You've never uh, caused harm. You know, your bands have entertained us. We're familiar with your culture, your food. Uh, the, especially in Demona, 
Uh, Demona, we, we've always gotten along well with people here in, in here in Demona and all across the land. It was just in those certain offices that we had certain problems. And so that led that led to a a, uh, a redocumentation of members of the community as American citizens. And I say that because we had renounced our U.S. citizenship in mass so that we could not be deported. It was a tactic that allowed us to remain uh, stateless. And so we agreed to redocument ourselves as American citizens and then move to temporary Um, 1990, that set us on that path. We are happy to say that we've had more than 300 of our youth who served in the IDF. That is our commitment to the land. That is our commitment to its people. Sorry, we would. Um, there was there was a gap. So, so you were redocumented as Americans, and then, yes. then the next step was to apply for Israeli citizenship or residence. What was the next step? We went we went from, with the American citizenship, we were documented as temporary residents in Israel. With the, with a, uh, within seven years, it was to go from temporary to permanent to citizenship. Uh, because of the overturning, the constant overturning, and I think news even hits today that confirms we're going to have yet another election. Uh, because of this constant overturning, we were often faced with the challenge of having new governments uh, who literally didn't know us and were not familiar with our situation. So that seven-year process drag out, drug out, drug out, and it's still unresolved for uh, a number of our residents to this day. But we are, uh, I would say, 90% of us permanent residents, a few dozen uh, families with citizenship, and we're striving to close this out. Uh, with those who are in our midst. So uh, we're happy to say that today, um, that might be the next question. Well, I was going to ask you, so tell us a little about your community, the internal dynamics, some of the beliefs, some of the customs, um, and maybe... Okay. Uh, um, maybe what? What's the last thing you said, Rabbi? Uh, and, and about uh, about the community, how it's structured, some of the customs, some of the, the beliefs, um, okay. how you live. Okay. Uh, again, we are we are spiritual. We're not religious. We we consider the Bible our holy text, uh, the Tanakh, Torah, Tanakh. We do utilize other writings. Uh, we have made truth the essential element by which we are to pattern our and extract uh, uh, the principles from to, to lay the foundation for a society and social order. Uh, we are strict vegans. Uh, we understand that Moses did allow the consumption of certain meats and animals, et cetera, et cetera. But however, in book of Genesis, the first chapter, it's a vegan diet that is prescribed. And Moses was giving those that latitude for people who had been in the Egyptian captivity during a decline and a fall in their cultural adherence to, to that, that preferred diet and order. We fast on Sabbath day. Uh, the, the, the fasting allows your inner order to, to rest. And if you read some of the old Greek observers and historians, they do document that the ancient Hebrews did fast on the Sabbath day. Uh, we keep the Mosaic uh, feast days and festivals. Um, we do observe Pesach. Of course, we don't consume a lamb. Um, we keep Shavuot, but we don't count the Omer in the same manner. Our, according to our reading of the, the scriptural instructions, uh, Shavuot should always fall on a Yom Rishon, uh, and so we we have a we, we vary on different interpretations. We also have what we call New World Passover. We have a two-day festival every May, the third week of May, that celebrates our leaving what was a modern captivity, the modern captivity of our existence in the Americas. Of course, 
I don't know. I don't know any other way to look at our existence in America except that it was indeed a captivity for us, one that ostensibly ended, by the way, in 2019, based on the arrival in 1619 of the first uh, enslaved. That's that's debatable that date, but nevertheless, it is widely acknowledged that that 2019, even at the uh, even by President Trump and the U.S. government, they recognized this 400-year sojourn in, the, in America. We are leaders in organic agriculture, uh, and not just organic, but also according to biblical law relative to Shemitah and other guidelines that we practice organic agriculture. You hear us shouting and using the terminology hallelujah constantly. We, we, we feel that that is the, the, the basis for our presence here, that we've given all praise and honor to the Holy One of Israel for is allowing us to return. And we feel that our whole existence in that captivity was part of the, the prophetic chastisement um, of his people, that once we learn the lessons that were required, that once we turn aside and return back to the ways of the Holy One of Israel, that we would then be on an upward trajectory. And so we're happy to say that after we've actually been outside of America 50 plus years and and uh, 50 years in uh, in the land now. And so we're proud of that fact and, and we have nothing but, uh, but, but good things going forward. And uh, do, you, uh, do, your do you have your own schooling? Do the children uh, attend Israeli schools? Is most of the marriage within your community, or is it outside of it? How, and do you have any type of pub, uh, a group worship, and study of the Torah, and or a public reading? Okay, we do. Uh, we hold Sabbath service. We have our own priesthood, and the priests do conduct Sabbath service on uh, Yom Shishi evening after the sun sets. Uh, they do counsel. Uh, couples who are in pursuit and want to marry, they do perform the marriage uh, rites. They perform the circumcisions. Um, they counsel. They counsel so, couples. Uh, uh, African Jew. Really. In Israel. Councils who have. Uh, they counsel uh, couples who may have some problems and what have you. And in the uh, increasingly rare incidents of death, they do preside over over that. So we have a. Uh, we have a school. It is a school under the National Ministry of Education. It has to meet the guidelines for language, for science, for math, and the um, the uh, they're made. I think maybe about eighty percent of the teachers are drawn from the larger society. Twenty percent from our own community. When we send our our children. Uh, to university and they get certified, they then can come and teach at the school. So we meet that minimum uh, requirement for that. But we're also allowed as a community-based school to teach our culture, to teach our interpretation of Tanakh, to teach our uh, and, and observe our holy days, et cetera, et cetera. All that is uh, allowable under the uh, community-based school. But it is a school from pre-kindergarten all the way up to uh, uh, 12th grade. And we okay. send our children, we, we, we would send several of our children to uh, schools and they've gotten scholarships, pursued higher degrees, uh, gotten those teaching certificates and come back and are now contributing to the, the uh, uh, fulfillment of that, that idea. Okay, thank you. Um, a couple of mm -hmm. questions kind of stepping back. Um, there are congregations in the United States, uh, Abyssinian uh, in, in Harlem, in Chicago, um, yes. that are synagogues. Um, do you affiliate with those? Then there are other Hebrew, those who claim to be Hebrew Israelites who uh, question the authenticity of the Ashkenazi Jewish community and seem quite militant almost. Um, who have the same name. And then also, interestingly, um, in Nigeria, Uganda, there are synagogues springing up. Are you affiliated with those movements? So three other movements, what is your 
connection to them or not? Well, first of all, you have a wide variety and a wide array of, of believers and adherents to this idea of African Hebraic ancestry, be it Black Jews that, that like you mentioned, the, the commandment keepers of Harlem, that were, as they were known, you still have mainstream Black Jewish congregations in Chicago and New York predominantly. You have the Hebrew Israelite uh, uh, awakening, I would call it. You have those like uh, recently uh, um, Nick Cannon and lots of celebrities have begun to identify uh, as, as I did when I came into this knowledge in 1975. And a lot of times they, they, they trend where they shouldn't and without the proper uh, language and understanding and historical uh, cultural connections that they should when they venture out into this into this particular arena, and it has caused them and I think all of us some stress and problems. There are indeed uh, varying congregations and and communities uh, that when we show up on a street corner in New York or elsewhere, that we would be also uh, harassed and and uh, and and fairly uh, rebuked. Uh, I would, I would say that while it is obvious and clear that the ancient Israelites were much darker than those that actually control the state of Israel and the ideas now known as mainstream or normative or rabbinical Judaism today, they were a much darker people two, three, four thousand years ago. We sit in Africa. Israel is a part of Africa. It is on the African tectonic plate. Hebrew is an Afro-Semitic, Afro-Asiatic language. And so we have to get back to the African roots of, of what we're talking about. And so that is a, is a minefield for many of these different groups. Uh, but we are, we are working to build these bridges. We're working to, to tone down the, the, the rhetoric. Uh, we feel that it's important for many of us to identify with that, with that, uh, that Africanness is important from the ground root at the at the ground level. But once you get to that point, the next question is now what? And you realize that race and this superficial skin that 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 envelopes us is really, really uh, a petty subject. It really is. And so when you look at the prophet Isaiah, uh, who talks about the, you know, his house being a house of prayer for all nations and all peoples, it's preceded when he talks about a stranger. I think this is in Isaiah 56. A stranger can get a name and a place better than of sons and daughters. And so that should keep us all humble and realize that there is a job, there is a mandate, there is a mission that goes along with this identification. Um, and so you can't call yourselves Jewish or Judean or Hebrew or Israelite without understanding that there's some obligations that go with that. Namely, Israel is to be a light unto the nations. Uh, it was through Abraham's seed that all the nations would be blessed. And so how does this blessing roll out? How does this light roll out? How is it to be interpreted? And so we have to be very careful when we start to, 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 to question and denigrate each other's ties. I'm not an expert in Ashkenazic connections to the land of Israel. I'm an expert in defending the African connections here. And I will not allow the Ashkenazic side of the family to denigrate those and to say that we don't conform. Uh, and, and I, I question the, 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 the sensibilities of, of, of forcing, coercing the Ethiopian priesthood to abandon their white turbans and their long flowing white robes and to pick up knickers and, and fedoras uh, because this is that That doesn't make sense to me. And it is, it is disingenuous of the rabbinate to continue to, 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 uh, to want those things and to, to, to set that as the standard. 
These are pre-Talmudic communities. And if you look at the history, uh, the Ashkenazic uh, uh, chief rabbi, Shlomo Gorin, documented in the Jerusalem Post, 1985. I could get a copy to whoever might want to want to sit. Uh, told his Yom Kippur about the uh, the Vilna Gaon, the Lithuanian holy man, sending a messenger to Ethiopia in 1831. We also have copies of the letter uh, to ask the Ethiopian rabbis to come to Israel to ordain the rabbis of the land of Israel. 1831. And so a century and a half later, you want to make the Ethiopians conform to a European idea and a European standard. It doesn't, it, that's not proper. That's not the proper reception. And we have to bridge this gap some way. It is our position simply that Africa continues to knock on the door of Israel and we can't call them all infiltrators. We can't make them convert. We can't subject their women to forced sterilization unbeknownst to them. These were, were some really uh, uh, unrighteous policies that were applied and, and words and, and, and actions were applied to the family when we came knocking. And so we have to bridge this somehow so we can move on and navigate who we're supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be a speckled bird. So, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we were scattered from one end of the earth to the other. In our return, we will reflect that. So how do you see uh, going forward for your community? What does it number now? Uh, I asked you, do you marry mostly within your community? Um, but how do you see the future? Um, do you see more of an integration into the larger community or a parallel? Uh, Being part there of is intermarriage. It's it's rare. It's it's quite rare. Uh, and the problem, or the 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 obstacle to the intermarriage is cultural. For example, if we have a son who's been raised in an environment where he's strict, vegan, he takes a young daughter, uh, who, and she's eating cleaning and preparing foods in that, in that manner, they're going to be problems. If someone's smoking and we don't smoke, you're going to have problems. You're going to have to, we simply require that if you are going to in, 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 embrace a relationship as serious as marriage, that you've got to, there has to be a meeting of the minds there. And so if not willing to make a transformation and to give up certain things, then you're going to have problems as you go forward. And so uh, when you when you allow for that, you realize why there are so few intermarriages, but it is not prohibited. Um, the community no, numbers 3,000 now. From the rabbinate. And we are actually. Sorry. From the rabbinate's point of view, there are. Uh, criterion that they set down in terms of uh, Jewish identity. And uh, sure. so I imagine that also complicates things. Um, sure. But, but, but again, the rabbinate has never recognized us, and that's not a problem for us. We have the rabbinate over us. And so it's okay. Um, and, and, and we know that there are hundreds of thousands of Israelis who have similar problems with the rabbinate. And so uh, that's something they're going to have to reconcile and to clarify, but we're not getting ready to change our standards for the sake of conforming to that idea uh, that comes from the rabbinate. Um, so, so how, large is you, how large is your community now? How large is your community? How do you see it growing? I see you have a lot of children, so the mitzvah of being fruitful. So um, is that a factor in terms of the growth of your community or from a biblical point of view? And is that typical? Are there large families? And um, have they ventured beyond uh, Arad? Uh, well, actually, we're, I, I live in Demona. Demona the, the bulk of the community mm -hmm. is in Demona. But we're in Arad. We're in Mitzpedermon. We're in Tiberias. We're in Yerukam uh, and a smattering of, of other locations. Uh, we number maybe 3,000. Um, yes. Being fruitful and multiply was was one of the meats vote. Um, however, 
in the early generation, that's where you had, where, that's where the bulk of those big families came in. Uh, not so much in the uh, succeeding generations. They've, 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 they've rather uh, 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 leveled off. <laughs> We've seen a leveling off. Uh, the challenges that go with large families are obvious. Uh, it's a great challenge. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not easy. I couldn't explain to you, you know, how it was done. Uh, other than, as we say, y'all kai, hallelujah. Um, we, we, we uh, are urban kibbutz. And the only reason that's urban kibbutz in that category is because we don't have our agricultural land attached to where we, we actually live in the confines of Demona. Uh, we would love and have always wanted to have a piece of land, a kibbutz, a moshav, where we could actually be on the land and to begin to produce and have that kind of lifestyle that was close to the soil. Um, we, 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 we have built a lifestyle based on two words. One is sharing, because we know that as individuals that we cannot survive as human beings on this planet. We are all sharing the same air. Uh, the, the, there's plenty of resources to go around if we learned how to share, but the inequitable social order and, and capitalism and other um, models have failed the human family, and we have to get back to sharing, which is biblical. The other word that we, we, we talk about is enough. Uh, we have to get to the point where we recognize that we have enough, that a person doesn't need two or three automobiles and there's one person in the automobile. We can share. Um, you don't need to uh, have a, a 50 room mansion and, 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 and because I'm a ball player and I've got a wife and a child that I, I should live in a 50 room mansion. That's really absurd and wasteful and, and na naive on the part of, of the human family. And so if we were simply uh, return back to a level of comfort wherein everyone got to the point where, okay, I've got enough and the rest of this can go towards uplifting brothers and sisters who do not have the, and, and we, we wouldn't have haves and have nots, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, yes, I, I see a question here. Do we serve in the IDF? Absolutely. We've had more than 300 of our children to serve in the IDF. Uh, that that's our that's our uh, expression of love of the land thank you for sharing those ideals very very inspiring very true um we'd like to now open up uh if that's okay with you uh to questions i'm going to hand it over to shanna hi uh, very much this has been uh very enlightening and uh thank you for sharing your 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 path and your journey and some of the ideals of your community very much appreciated Go ahead, Shen. Thank you, Rabbi. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Sar, for joining us. I happen to be in New York City right now visiting my family, but I usually live around the year in Israel. Um, you better hurry back. So I better hurry. Yes, you're right about that. <laughs> um, so we have some questions here from people in the U.S., from Israel, from many different communities. I have a... Um, let me get started here. One moment. And by the way, which is our first? Mm -hmm. If people would like to be uh, to to part to be part of the uh, ongoing Sons of Abraham series, put your email in the chat, please, and we'll put you on the email list so you'll uh, get notifications about uh, the upcoming uh, sessions that we have next week. We have a special uh, guest who's going to be speaking about the Israeli-Arab community, uh, Raida Rina Zuabi. So that's our next installment next Monday night on the Sons of Abraham series, the Israeli-Arab community. So back to Shannon. Thank you. Uh, the, these these mini-series have been very interesting and I think very important especially for newcomers to Israel who don't know about their neighbors, don't know about the other communities that are living in Israel. And um, I think it's important to know your neighbor. So first question we have here from Miri. 
how are the priests in your community chosen? Do they decide that they want to become priests? Is anything hereditary? How are they taught and ordained? Uh, it is not a hereditary priesthood. Uh, they are, we call them, actually, they're, they're called the prophetic priesthood. They would have to uh, register their uh, in, interest in being priests, being trained as priests. They would then be taught in what we call the school of the prophets and we have a category we have a, a, a curriculum for the priesthood when they pursue the priesthood we have those who pursue midwifery those who uh, excuse me pursue uh divine healing uh divine agriculture public relations etc cetera, etc cetera. but the priesthood is a separate category in which they would be taught and trained and based on on them uh successfully passing that particular uh, course of training and being ordained, they would become priests in the community. It's a it's a position of servitude. Thank you for answering that. We have another question from Mike Scherzer. Are there people of African descent in Israel today that have been practicing Judaism continuously since the ancient times before Christ, how or before the common era? How integrated are people of African descent into Israeli society? Mm, um, interesting question. The, of course, the, the, this, the shattering of, of Hebrew-Israelite culture here at the hands of the Greeks and then, of course, at the Romans, uh, uh, when you, you know, we, we, would, we would consult certain texts, and I'm going to use a New Testament reference um, of course, we would simply say it's a Greek testament, a Greek reference. But there, there, there's a quote in which the chief priest says, um, "Mike Thompson, if you could turn off your um, your microphone, that would help us out." The the chief priest is quoted as saying, "We have no god but Caesar," and so that accurately kind of reflects. After 400 years of Greco-Roman influence and domination, it accurately reflects the mindset of many of the Israelites here in this land. I'm saying that that almost every aspect of the uh, cultural traditions was lost or submerged. Uh, what you do have what were called by many of the early returning European Jews to this land, uh, those who were called Fellahim. Now, this would include David Ben-Gurion and Yitzhak Ben-Svi, the first president. And they refer, they were referring to the existence among the so-called Arab communities of the fellas, the, the typical peasants, who in the onslaught of the different marauding, invading armies, if they were Arab and controlled, it was Allahu Akbar. If it was the Christians who had gained the upper hand, it was, you know, they became Christian. But they basically were tending to their land and their fields. And it was that relationship that they were concerned with. And of course, these invading armies weren't like American modern armies on bases with MREs. Those are meals ready to eat, the packaged meals that are shipped in and so forth, they had to rely on those people who were from those areas that were still the indigenous people. What am I saying? I'm saying that many of the quote-unquote Arab Bedouins are indeed possibly and probably ancient Hebrew Israelite, of, of ancient Hebrew Israelite ancestry. And if you go to Jericho, you will find that 20 percent of the people that live in Jericho are actually of African ancestry. And it was from Jericho that you have the Lemba, the, the Lemba DNA of those that live in South Africa and Zimbabwe that identify as Israelites. They actually, their ancestry home is 10 kilometers north of Jericho. If you go to where Rahat, Rahat is the largest Arab Israeli community in the state of Israel with over 800,000 people in Rahat. 
a large number of them are of African ancestry. One of the former deputy mayors was a, a black Arab. And so these relationships we've been able to forge and to build and to learn quite a bit about the land because the knowledge of the land never left those particular families and they have a lot to teach and share with us. And so, yeah, there are, if you go to the old city of Jerusalem, there's a section that we call the African Quarter. Now, it's, it's not on anyone's map, but there's an entire community that, that uh, they're Africans. And they themselves tell their stories of how long they've been here and the hardships. If you know anything about the Kotel, the, the, uh, the Wailing Wall, uh, the, the Western Wall Quarter, or, or not quarter, but the Western Wall uh, Plaza, that was only created in 1967. It was bulldozed, but what was it before then? It was the Moors Quarter. And the Moors are Africans, Moorish, they're African people. And so this is a, a, a part of this holy land that is not really taught or, or talked about, uh, but which we have uh, infinite no amount of documentation to verify these things. So yes, there is a, there is an African Hebraic, African Judaic, African presence here that needs further excavating and elaborating on, and it it lends itself to what we're saying that that we must be accommodated at another uh, civil level at this particular point because of that history. Okay. Uh, very, very interesting. It's if you care about people, it's it's very interesting to find where people come from. Um, another question we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to get back to it because it was one of our first questions in the chat. Um, there are fringe groups in the Black Hebrew Israelite movement that display anti-Semitism and racism against whites. What is your what is your group on relationship, if any? I'm not sure if that's what he meant to say. With those fringe elements, if you reject those elements of the movement, is there anything being done to counteract those activities and beliefs? Um, the, the, it's our position that, that the hatred, the, 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 the language, the insightful language is not something that you need to bring to the table at this point. We have enough trouble uh, in, in the family and around the world that we have to navigate without bringing all of that baggage. If we as Africans who've had to endure the legacy of slavery, the legacy of, of oppression and Jim Crow, uh, the legacy of first hired, last, uh, first fired, last hired, uh, all of those kind of things, if we could put that down, if we could take our first 25 years here and the oppressive uh, policies that were applied toward us, the, the, the deportations, et cetera, et cetera, if we could, 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 could put uh, those on the back burner in, in, in effort to move forward with an agenda that is, that is uh, much more pressing, then certainly we're capable of negotiating this and, and, and reaching out to a wide segment of the communities to say, hey, let us, uh, let us show you how to, to negotiate that. And that's on both sides of this, of this divide. But the, 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 the use of anti-Semitism is a, is, a, is a bit overblown in many cases. If we were to just sit, sit, simply sit down and talk, I think we would realize that we have more in common than, than, uh, than we have as differences. Uh, Tudor Parfit, one of the, uh, the top scholars in the area of the uh, Black Judaism, Black Hebrew Israelites, and so forth, uh, one of the top scholars, he has a book that he put out about that very subject, about the, the commonalities of the Jewish and the African uh, struggles uh, on another level, uh, beyond the civil rights era, uh, but some other eras. And so we've, we, we've been thrown into this basket together we have a common heritage uh, that we have to sort out and work through. And we, we've got to come to the table with clear heads and honesty because we've been marginalized as well. Uh, they, they may be fringes of the fringes, but there's a, co there's a constant effort to marginalize 
as and, and to define and to categorize as anything but normative and mainstream. And so however you, whatever creative ways you come up with in terms of wording to place us uh, and describe us, it's still an outsider's interpretation and it puts us on the, on the margins. And so we're not gonna take kindly to that. And until maybe, uh, I'll give you an example, the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs is talking about, um, uh, what do they call it? Oh, they, they, they speak about these groups who have an, a quote unquote affinity and the affinity, the affinity is defined as like-mindedness. It's not, it's not accepting us as who we say we are. It's still trying to place us on the outside. And we, we, we don't take kindly to that. So there's, a, there's a recipe for, for conflict there. We can only through dialogue, only through, through, um, uh, uh, a, a, a serious uh, sit down and sharing and be w being willing to hear. Uh, can we can we can we move forward? But no, we will not tolerate hatred and 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 um, uh, the 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 language that is used. Uh, that's not necessary. We've got larger issues such as global warming and and uh, COVID-19, uh, COVID-20 and COVID-21 coming up the road. So we've got, we've got serious issues as a human family. The world is in darkness. We're supposed, we Israelists are supposed to be bringing the light. Okay. Thank you very much for responding to that. Um, we just have one, I'm gonna ask you one more question before we wrap up today and finish out. We have a question from Michelle. Does your community believe in Jesus as the Messiah or, and do you um, pay attention to the New Testament, use the New Testament? We, no, we don't believe Jesus. <laughs> um, we, 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 that, that's a seminar. We believe that there was a historical Yeshua we believe that there is a historical perpetual uh, uh, coming of messianic personages that when you look at Isaiah, it talks about the suffering servant that Christians have interpreted. And so it's a reference to a continual coming of anointed personages. And in Hebraic culture, all of the kings, all of the prophets, all of the elders, all of the righteous elders in Hebraic culture were called Mashiach, and one who is anointed. And so this is uh, something, again, that, that we have to speak to. We are messed in the sense that we regard our spiritual leader as being the, the anointed personage of this dispensation of time but the the object always to raise up the messianic people israel is my firstborn son said the prophet hosea and so we have to be that messianic people but you can't have a messianic people you can't have millions before you have hundreds of thousands before you have tens of thousands before you have thousands before you have hundreds before you have tens before you have one. And so that one was essential to actually get this thing started. Okay. But that's again a seminar. But we are not Christian. We're not Jewish in a religious sense. We are Judeans. We separate and tease out the religious ideas from spiritual, the 24 7 proposition and relationship that we as people must have. We can't separate and say that. Our worship takes place on one day out of the week. What about the other days? What about all those other hours and right. commitment to righteousness and, and justice and all of those good things that God would present? Thank you very much for clarifying, for answering everybody's questions with elegance and um and we really appreciate hearing from you. I think that we've made, I think this has been actually more than just a, a q and I think it's been a discussion that a lot of people are going to take with them and internalize. So thank you for being with us, Sar. 
Um, I think a lot of people may have questions for you. So if you, um, are you open to having people reach out to you with any questions? Yes. Um, so you could put your, you could put a contact information, a Facebook page or an email in the chat. And thank you so much for being with us, everyone. We are going to be back here again next Monday night, same time, same place. I have a lot of emails, so everyone will get onto our mailing list so that you will not, uh, for, you will be reminded about our next one where we're going to learn about the Arab Israel community and uh, keep it coming, keep it coming here at the Sunset Series. Great. You have put my, put my email on the, uh, on the chat for me. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Rabbi Feldman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you to the uh, tribe Tel Aviv and to all of those that tuned in. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. All right. Hallelujah.